All right, good morning once again. Go ahead and grab your Bible, open up to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at what it means to be the people of God. We've been working through 1 Peter now for a few weeks. And 1 Peter verses, chapter 2 verses 4 through 10 to me is one of the most beautiful passages for God's people. It helps us move from this idea of salvation, that it's Jesus and Jesus alone that saves, that we talk about earlier in First Peter, to um, what it means to be sanctified, to, to be um, under the sanctification, the process of sanctification of believers as we grow in godliness. And it does so by giving insight into the absolute greatest act of love, and that's God's love towards us. Now, these truths that we will find this morning, that we will see this morning, um, and that we have seen so far in 1 Peter, give the people of God our identity, and it gives us our purpose. We are God's people, and we have been set apart for God's purposes. That is, those who trust in Jesus. Now this morning, what you're going to see is that there are a few difficult truths that we will encounter, but they are truths nonetheless. And that is one of the beauties of preaching through books of the Bible, verse chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line by line. Being able to, to approach hard topics and not, being able, not running away from them and, and in coming in face to face with the glories of God. And what we'll find here this morning are truths that should awaken, uh, awaken us to the amazing grace of God that is shown to us in Christ Jesus. And it's this type of coming face to face with the truth of God that should lead us to glory in Him. So the main idea of our text this morning is this, that God redeems His people through the death of Jesus so that they can boldly proclaim His glory. I want to pray for us and we will dive in. Our Father, we come before you now opening your word together. God, you have given us your word as a gracious gift. And you have called us as your people to gather around your word through the preaching and the teaching of your word. And I know every one of us comes in here with a different background, a different story. But the truth of the matter is, is that this word that we will encounter this morning is led by your Holy Spirit. is sufficient for each and every one of us. For whatever path we're walking down, for whatever struggles we may be facing, for whatever trials we may be going through, whatever joys we may be experiencing. And so we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the sufficiency of your scriptures. For the graciousness that you show to us in giving us the Bible to be able to build our lives upon you. To teach us to train us, to prepare us as your called out people. And so now we ask that you would bless the reading of your word this morning. That you would take any preconceived notions, any thoughts that we have about your word, and we might just sit those to the side and we just fix our gaze fully on you and hear from you this morning. As we make much of you through the reading and the teaching of your word. 
Would you work and speak into our hearts? Change us, mold us, shape us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. So that we would be led out. Armed with the gospel of Jesus. To go to the ends of the earth. With this true message of hope. And lastly, this morning, Father, may we, through the reading and the hearing of the word, see what it means to be called the people of God. What a special calling, a gracious calling, a glorious calling. May our hearts be convicted and encouraged and warmed by the truth that you love us. And you allow us to work according to your gracious plans. Father, would you speak through the working of your Holy Spirit this morning. Through the reading and the preaching of your word. In Christ's glorious name we pray. Amen. Again, God redeems his people through the death of Jesus. So they can boldly proclaim his glory. We start by seeing this truth, that the people of God are built up. To understand the true beauty here in this, in this verse, we have to begin with the foundation, and that is the living stone. Verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, a living stone. The living stone is Jesus Christ. A stone in itself is not alive, but Jesus is and several times already in 1 Peter 1, we saw Peter reference other living things. He mentioned a living hope. He's mentioned the living and abiding word of God. And as we see here in verse 4, that although Jesus was rejected by men, and that he was crucified, and he was tortured for the claims he made, that he was God incarnate, Jesus is very much alive. He is God's anointed one. He is the chosen and precious one, the Messiah who would come to save his people from their sin, a lamb without spot. Jesus is the living stone and he's the cornerstone, as we will see. He is the foundation of our faith. And so as such, it says, verse four again, as you come to him. That is, as you trust in Jesus to save you, as you realize that you have been plagued and marred by sin, you come to Him trusting Him to save you. We come to Him who is the living stone, who was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And know this, that when you trust in Jesus for salvation, when He saves you, you don't just get salvation, you inherit His righteousness. You're no longer seen by God as a marred sinner. You are seen as precious, just as the Son of God. And He is building you up, verse 5, you yourselves like living stones. We are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ.
God is building his kingdom. He is building his kingdom through the people that he saves through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself was the living stone. But as we come to him, surrendering to Christ for salvation, he saves us and he transforms us by his grace into living stones that are built upon him, the cornerstone, stone by stone. God is building his kingdom. So hear this, that if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you are a part of God's kingdom and are being built up as a part of his church. A spiritual house. And because God saves us, because God redeems us, and because God sets us apart, we see that He sets us apart as a holy priesthood. Pastors and theologians for centuries has referred to this as the priesthood of all believers. That those who trust in Christ Jesus are being built into a holy priesthood. The people of God are priests in God's kingdom, in God's church, and we are holy. That is, we are to be set apart. And I understand that for the majority of us, the idea of priest is an odd thing because it's not something we're used to. In the Old Testament, priests were set apart to be the ones who would offer sacrifices to God for the atonement of sin of the people. But in Jesus Christ, he comes as the one true atonement for sin, giving his life, satisfying the wrath of God meant for the sin of his people. And he becomes our great high priest, according to Hebrews. But yet he refers to us as a holy priesthood. People who offer themselves for the glories of God. God's people are to offer ourselves to God's purposes for His glory. And we do so not as slaves, but as those who have been set free through the work of Jesus. And so what do we do as a spiritual house that is being built up? And what do we do as a holy priesthood? We offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Spiritual sacrifices we give of our lives, our time, our talents, our treasures for the purposes of God and for the glory of His name. And notice how we do that. Through Jesus Christ. You can't offer spiritual sacrifices any other way. You can give the quote-unquote best you have to offer. It's not good enough. Isaiah says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. You can, you can try to um, earn your way to heaven. You can try to appease your way to God. You can try to give your way to God. You can try to serve your way to God, but you will not get to Him but through the blood of Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the stone, the living stone, the cornerstone, and Jesus is all to us. And it is because of his sacrifice that you and I can be brought into God's family and be built up as a spiritual house. So as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, 
to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the people of God are built up by God. The people of God are also those who believe in Christ. Peter begins this next section, verses 6 through 8, by quoting Isaiah 28, 16. It says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. But before we dig into that, I want you to go back to the very beginning of verse 6. It says, For it stands in Scripture. There is something very different about this phrase here. This is the only time in the New Testament that word stands is translated in the present tense when it's quoting the Old Testament. Why is that? It's because Peter is letting us know that he is building his entire theological foundation on this one truth, that Jesus is the cornerstone. All faith is built on Jesus Christ, nothing else. All of God's work centers on Jesus. So then all who believe in Him will never be put to shame. Paul tells us in Romans that for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, He is working all together for good and that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone. All things are built on Him, by Him. For him. And those who trust in him are living stones laid upon the living stone, the true foundation. And it says in verse 7 that they receive honor. So the honor is for you who believe. But notice the contrast for those who do not believe also in verse 7. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. For those who do not believe in Jesus, he has become not only the cornerstone, but because he's the cornerstone, he is a stumbling block and a rock of offense. You can't get past him. What separates Christianity from every faith, every religion, every thought and belief system is Jesus. God in the flesh who came and gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the separating, the dividing mark. So if you reject Jesus, you reject God. You can't love God and not love Jesus. Jesus is God. And so we ask the question, but why do so many reject Jesus? Why do so many turn their back on him? Why? It says they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. The difference between Christians and non-Christians is Jesus. The difference between heaven and hell is Jesus. And it's important for us to understand this, that those who stumble, they don't do so accidentally. 
It's not like you get to the end of your life and say, oops, I missed it. The word of God is proclaimed. We hear the word of God preached and you say, but what about those who never hear the word of God? Well, Romans 1 says that all are without excuse because we see his divine glories, his divine attributes in creation itself. We are without excuse. stumble because we disobey the word. We see God on display. We hear God preached. But when we reject Jesus, it's not an accident. We rebelliously turn our backs on Christ and we choose to disobey. And this happens because our heart is evil. It's wicked. We've been deceived by sin. And the hard part of this text really rests in the last part of verse 8. It says they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. I want to point something out to you that you're not going to be able to tell completely in your English translation. Verses 7 and 8 in the original Greek is extremely important. Every verb, every verb is in the present tense. So the honor is for you who are believing currently. That means it's active. But those who are not believing currently, active. Who are rejecting God, active who has himself become the cornerstone. He has become a stumbling block, active, continuous, and a rock of events. You stumble because you disobey actively. Until you get to that last part, and then in the Greek, the verb changes. And it goes from present tense believing and disbelieving, and present tense rejecting, and present tense stumbling, and present tense disobeying, To past tense destined to. And we need to understand because when we start to question these things, we need to realize what we're questioning. We're not questioning whether or not it was translated correctly because we know it has been. We know that the word of God is inerrant, it's infallible, and it's sufficient. It's inspired by God. In 2 Peter, which we'll get to at a whole nother time, he tells us this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter is referring to the apostles and the writers of Scripture. They, the, the apostles, they saw Jesus. They were eyewitnesses to Jesus. And he goes on, he says, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word, the scripture, more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Verse 20 of 2 Peter chapter 1 says this. Knowing this, first of all, 
that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when we begin to question the Word of God, we're questioning God Himself. The reality is this. This was part of God's eternal plan. And many object to this truth because what happens is we esteem ourselves way more highly than we should. As if we have the right to govern the universe. As if we have the right to judge what is right and wrong. In Genesis chapter 3, we saw our first parents, Adam and Eve, deliberately disobey the commands of God. And when they did, sin entered into the world. And the scripture says that because of one man's sin, all have sinned and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person who will ever exist outside of Jesus Christ is a sinner. And because we are sinners, we are eternally separated from God unless something happens. And that something is not us working our way to the appeasement of Christ. It's Jesus Christ himself paying the penalty of our sin in our place for us. We are all sinners, completely hopeless on our own. But God, God is God. He is holy. He is righteous. And salvation through Jesus Christ is completely God's work. So we would be well to quote Job and say, who is man that, he, that you are mindful of him? See, our rejection of Jesus leads to eternal separation from God. But the people of God believe Christ wholeheartedly. As Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Definitive statement. And the scripture clearly shows us that when we trust in Jesus, he is our God and he keeps us. He guards us. Until the very end. So what separates the people of God from those who are not the people of God? The cornerstone. The living stone, Jesus. Why does Jesus save? He saves for us to become bold proclaimers of the gospel. So because God is God, he had every right to destroy all sinners. And to some that sounds extremely harsh. But when we understand the depth and the depravity of our sin, the grotesque nature of our sin, how much it goes against the holiness of God, it makes a lot more sense. God is perfect in all of his ways. And we are marred by the most horrible thing ever, sin against his holiness. He had every right to eradicate all sinners from existence. But through Jesus Christ, he extends 
His grace to a remnant, a chosen people. And before you start balking at that language, let's think about the scripture. One of the examples that comes to mind is Noah. All of the earth had turned completely wicked and vile and God was going to destroy all. But he chose to save Noah and his family instead of eradicating all people. God extended grace. And Noah faithfully trusted the Lord to build an ark, even though they had never seen rain. And we see evidence of this time and time and time again throughout the scriptures where God cares for his people. And in my opinion, verse 9 becomes one of the most beautiful texts for the people of God in all of scripture. It says, but you... Right? So let's, let's, let's get the big picture real quick so you, so you see the gravity of this. He's talking to the people of God. He's saying, you come to him as the living stone rejected by men who is in the sight of God chosen and precious. Evil men rejected Jesus, but, but he is yours and he was always yours and he will always be yours. He's chosen and he's precious. So he then turns back to the people of God. You yourselves like living stones, you are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. And he goes through this laying it out, why it's important to believe in Jesus because he is the cornerstone, the foundation of all faith. But for some, they disobey, they stumble because they were destined to and, and they disobey the word. He says, but you in verse nine, you, the people of God, those who have trusted in Jesus for salvation, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his Marvelous light. Why is this one of the most beautiful texts in all of Scripture? Because as, of, as opposed to those who reject Jesus in verse 8, those who trust Jesus are His. He says, but you. He's not talking about Old Testament ethnic Israel. He's not talking about the ones who were set apart as the nation of Israel. If you, there's a, a, a whole line of thinking that if you are born as a natural Jew, then you will be miraculously saved in the end, even if you reject Jesus all of your life. That's not what the scripture declares. And here we are seeing, but you, those who trust in Jesus, who, who rest in the truths of Christ Jesus, the living stone, the cornerstone, but you, you are the true people of God. You are chosen race called from every tribe, every nation, every people, every tongue. And you have been grafted in and you are being built up as God's church, the spiritual house. And you are a royal priesthood, meaning that we have a king and we are a kingdom. And our king is the king and we are his. And we are not merely the building blocks of some static structure. We are active participants in the work of God and we are a holy Nation, a people set apart for God's purposes of redemption. God saves us so that we can go to someone else and tell them of the good news of Jesus. Like Robbie Gallaty says, you were saved to tell someone else how to be saved. The gospel came to you because it was going to someone else. And notice what he says. We were a people for his own possession. 
We are his people, purchased by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. We were ransomed from the feudal ways of our forefathers, the sin that we inherited. We are no longer bound by those things. We have been redeemed through the work of Jesus Christ. So why in the world has God chosen a people? Why would a holy God choose a bunch of broken people to redeem them, to display his glory, and then for them and us to become bold proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's the point. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has saved you by his grace so that you could tell others of his greatness. This makes no sense when we diminish the majesty and the sovereignty of God. When we don't study the scriptures and see God for who he truly is, none of this matters to us. Why would I give my life for someone that's on the same level as me? God is not. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He is good in all of his ways. And he saves us by his grace for his glory to do his work. Remember, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a free gift of God, so that none of us can boast. Why? We are his workmanship, created by him for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we should walk in them. Church, you and I have absolutely no hope of escaping darkness on our own, but God shines the light of salvation through Jesus Christ, his Son. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. We were hopeless, wandering around, no idea where to go. If someone dropped you off in the middle of the Amazon jungle with no tools, no nothing, you would be completely hopeless. That is what sin does to us. But God, through Jesus Christ, shows us the way to him. He shows mercy. Verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is a reference to Hosea. Probably a book most of us have not read. So I want you to hold your finger in 1 Peter chapter 2, where we are, and I want you to flip back to Hosea. Hosea was a prophet in Scripture. He's one of the minor prophets. Hosea, a great man of God, was commanded to marry Gomer, who was basically a prostitute. And he loved her and he cared for her. And we pick it up in Hosea chapter 1. Have you found it there? Found it yet? Hosea chapter 1. Hosea is obedient to the Lord, he takes Gomer as his wife. 
Let's start in verse 1, just so you can get a little bit of context. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord spoke, first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And we pick it up in verse 4. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again, verse 6, and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. And when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name, not my people. For you are not my people. And I am not your God. The people of Israel had turned their backs on God. They had given way to false ideologies and false practices. They had turned their back on God. They had, I'm taking the language of Hosea, made themselves a whore. And so God calls Hosea his prophet. A great man of God. To take a prostitute to be his wife as a symbol for the nation of Israel. And they have children and he names these children Jezreel, no mercy, and not my people. This was a message of God's justice to the people of God for turning their backs on him But look further down. Chapter 2. God extends mercy and he offers redemption. Say to your brothers, you are my people. And to your sisters, you have received mercy. And I want you to skip over. No, you know what? We're just going to read it. We might run out of time, but I just want you to see the context of the beauty of what we see in 1 Peter because of this. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. That she put away her whoring from her face. That, In other words, that the nation would turn back to God. And her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst upon her children also. I'll have no mercy because they are children of whoredom for their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully for she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water. So she turned her back on Hosea. She went back to her original 
lovers. And it goes on, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her path. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. And then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal, an idol. Therefore, verse 9, I will take back my grain in its time, and my wine in its season, and I will take my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbath, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beast of the field shall devour devour them and I will punish her for the feast of days of the, the feast days of the bales when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and her jewelry and went after her lovers and forget forgot me declares the Lord therefore verse 14 behold I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her and there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of a core a door of hope and there she shall answer in the days of her youth as in the time when she came out of the land of Egypt so you see what just happened he just talked about how much judgment he was going to give to the people but then he showed how he could extend grace in the verse 16 and that day declares the Lord you will call me my husband, no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in the righteousness and injustice and steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. And in that day, verse 21, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel and I will sow her for myself in the land. And hear this, and I will have mercy on no mercy. Remember the child's name. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. God extends mercy. Folks, we had absolutely no hope in and of ourselves. We are the nation of Israel who had turned our backs completely on God. And God is showing that he will bring judgment. But then he says, but listen. You who trust in the living stone, the one that others rejected. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. And this is where it just comes to this great big climax, this beautiful moment. He says, you who were once not a people are now God's people. 
Could you imagine taking your vilest enemy and extending grace to them and not only just showing them that you have forgiven them, but you bring them into your own house and you bathe them and you clothe them with the best you have to offer and you lay out feasts before them and you say, all is forgiven. You are my people. You have a home. He says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And in case you read Hosea and Gomer and think it's only about Old Testament Israel, it's not. It's about you and me. We all like sheep have gone astray. But God, flip back one page to 1 Peter 1. To where we began this series. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice he has an exclamation point there. He is rejoicing. Why? Because he had not received mercy, but then he did receive mercy. Excuse me. And he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He took us, the vilest of enemies, and he brought us in off the street from wandering hopeless and aimless. And he cleansed us and he clothed us, and he cares for us, and he has adopted us into his own family. And it says that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And you say, man, that is some grace. That you would take your vilest of enemies and you would bring them into your own home. But notice what he goes further, right? So, so it's almost like we, we have to work backwards some in First Peter to get the true beauty. He goes into verse 4 and he says, to you, to an inheritance. So he has, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He has brought us in. He has called us his own. And he has not just done that, but he has brought us into his own inheritance. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He redeems us. He saves us. He shows mercy to no mercy. He calls not my people, my people. And he gives us the greatest thing that we could ever have. And that's Jesus Christ, his son and his spirit to live within us. So that we understand the greatness of who he is. So that we could proclaim his excellencies. But there's more. Ephesians 2 he goes throughout this whole thing. Paul, you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In, in other words, we had surrendered ourselves to Satan because of the sin that was living within us. And verse 3 says, And among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
as sinners, we're scattered, we're lost without hope, but God graciously chooses to bring us in. He graciously chooses to save a remnant for himself. And we had no homes, we had no people, but God has brought us uh, into his home, into his people through the work of his son Jesus. And, and we have been extended mercy through the work of Jesus, undeserved mercy. And so we then, who believe in Jesus, will boldly proclaim him as Christ crucified. God's sovereign election of his people is a difficult truth for us to process, but it's glorious nonetheless. Because without him, we are completely and utterly hopeless. The truth that God would sacrifice his own son as a ransom for us is the very definition of grace. The truth of Jesus Christ, as we see here, will bring two primary responses in the people. The first, anger. How dare God? Jesus become stone of stumbling and a rock of events, offense. The dividing line between belief and non-belief is Jesus Christ. For those who reject Jesus, he has become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So it will offend you when he does not, God does not work things according to your plans. That God has not orchestrated all of eternity created the universe without questioning what you would have done first. The other response is rejoicing. And that's where we with Paul, as he says in 1 Corinthians 15, says, thanks be to God who gives the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who saves. It's in Jesus that all things are created in which all things hold together. It's Jesus and Jesus only. And it's Jesus is the reason that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession so that we could proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light because once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, you can be a part of this family too if you simply say, save me a sinner. And I know some of this is difficult to process and difficult to comprehend. So I just want to leave us with a quote, a set of quotes from the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. He says, I believe the doctrine of election because I am quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I am sure he chose me before I was born, or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I never could find in myself why he should have looked upon me with a special love. So I am forced to accept that great biblical doctrine. God's electing love for his people doesn't keep the people of God from proclaiming his excellencies. It propels us to it. We have so far drifted from the truths of God's word and the passion to study and to proclaim God's word that anytime something difficult comes to face, we run. 
that we should embrace these truths as we understand that we once were not a people, but now we are God's people, that once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. He goes on, he says, Beloved, do your master's work. Win souls, preach Christ, expound your Bibles, pray men to be reconciled to God, plead with men to come to Christ. This kind of work will stand the fire. And when the last great day shall dawn, this will remain to glory and honor. Today, I just want to ask you how you will respond to Jesus. The living stone, the cornerstone, the foundation of our faith. Will you respond to him in anger or will you respond to him in gratitude for the graciousness that he has displayed to us and giving himself as a ransom for many? If you're here today and you're coming with a bunch of baggage, you've got a lot of stuff on your plate, a lot of stuff in your life that you think that God can't and wouldn't redeem you from, you're wrong. His grace is unbounded. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. Trust in Jesus. Go from being not his people to being part of his family. Trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ today and let all of your sins be cleansed so that you can be covered in his righteousness. If you're here today and you are a Christian, but you've kind of just been going about things your own way, May the word of God humble us to see the glories of who God truly is. So that we realize our true purpose. To proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you. Because you first loved us. We trust you because only you can give us hope. May you move in our hearts today. In the glorious name of Jesus, we pray.